Hello, welcome to season three of Power Talk, this special lockdown edition of Power Talks. Power Talks are short, powerful interviews from leading youth violence experts spreading new ideas and sharing best practice. Today we are joined by the director of the London Violence Reduction Unit, Lib Peck. Welcome to Power Talk season three, the lockdown edition and... Um, it's a little bit different because I'm sitting in my car, uh, the best place for me to be in lockdown. But um, we still thought it would be a great idea just to continue our series. So the first person up, actually, is somebody I've known for a while, um, Lib Peck. I'm not going to say too much. Do you want to just introduce yourself? That would be <laughs> great. Hi, Ben. Um, great to see you. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Lib Peck. Um, I'm the director of the Violence Reduction Unit that was uh, set up by Sadiq Khan, the mayor, um, at the end of 2018. And I took up the role in uh, March 2019. And previous to that, I'd had a long a long spell, actually, as a uh, local councillor in the London Borough of Lambeth, uh, where I was leader for the previous six years. And prior to that, I'd worked in quite a lot of NGOs, uh, focusing on um, uh, either crime-related, violence-related, um, or justice-related themas. That's, that's really helpful. I wanted to get you on because I think the topic, what I really wanted to talk about is the violence reduction unit. I think lots of people, uh, not just in London, but across the country, would have heard about the VRU. Um, I think it's safe to say that some people probably would be a little bit confused about the powers that you have, what you can and you can't do. So I suppose it would be really helpful just to kick us off. Uh, if you could just explain what the purpose of the VRU is, uh, obviously in the London context, but across the country, and how it's set up and what it's about, and that would be really helpful. Okay, sure, Ben. Yeah, I'll have a go. Um, <laughs> so, uh, the, I mean, the, the Violence Reduction Unit came um, at a point, I think, where there was very high levels of, of violence in London, and you'd seen that escalation over fairly long period of time, I would say, about sort of six years, you started seeing a curve um, and an upward trend in the amount of violence there was on the streets and a real anxiety, an understandable anxiety, particular about the number of young people um, that were being caught up in violence and that many of whom, um, unfortunately, were losing their lives. And the impact of that on Londoners and the impact on those families, most critically, and their friends. And I think a sense that what we've been trying to do for a long time wasn't working and that therefore we needed a kind of new approach. And it was in that spirit that Sadiq set up uh, the Violence Reduction Unit. Um, he did so not only to look at reducing violence, which is obviously what it says, you know, in its name, um, but something a bit more profound, I think, which was to look at how you could increase Londoners' feelings of safety. Uh, which is really important, I think, and even more critically to say that not the, the answers don't sit in City Hall, the answers don't sit with public sector organisations, although they can be a lot better joined up, they actually very often sit with young people um, who we don't spend enough time listening to and communities who are very caught up in um, the experience of what's going on in their neighbourhoods and how can we enable those young people to have stronger voices how can we frame our work around that? And, and how can we really try and work alongside and collaboratively uh, with communities? So that, that was the kind of approach that was, um, you know, was uh, taken. And um, within that, I think it was really keen, clear rather, that it started off as a partnership approach. 
And before I came into position, there was a whole uh, group of people who were assembled around a partnership reference group, of which you will be uh, one key member uh, then, which which had, which represented, I suppose, um, some of the heads of uh, big public sector organisations that you need to be all working together. So the NHS, the police. Um, local authorities, local councils, um, as well as a strong voice, I think, from um, a variety of community organisations, um, some of whom are London players, some of whom play a bit more of a strong role within their, their, their local uh, neighbourhood, such as yourself, um, Ben. Um, and it was sort of working with them that we, that the, um, the sort of terms of reference, the kind of powers that we might have, the approach that we're going to take was really shaped up, as well as learning a lot from things that were going on elsewhere and, and Scotland being a, a key part of that. So that's, yeah, and that's, that's really helpful. There's a couple of things you mentioned there. Uh, I suppose I just want to draw in a little bit. Uh, so the powers, the actual specific powers which VRU have, because I think part of the confusion, this is, I think, just across in communities and society is there's so much confusion around what the Home Office can do, uh, mm. what Sadiq Khan can do himself as, as Mayor of London, um, and now we've, we've just introduced the concept of the violence reduction unit. So just give us as, in, in as simple form as you can, what powers does the VRU actually have, particularly in the context of violence and I suppose uh, youth violence specifically? Well, the, the, the powers we have come from the mayor. You know, we are, you know, a mayoral unit, we, um, in that sense. And the mayor, I think, has uh, direct powers over some areas of policy um, in London. Uh, he clearly works closely with and puts the Met Police under scrutiny. Uh, so that's, that's kind of one, one area which is very directly re- relevant to violence reduction. Um, but he also has um, powers of influence. Um, you know, he is the foremost citizen of London. He's got that mandate. And so I think he influences the tone of the city, the approach of the city. And also he can um, advocate for big policy changes. So I think in this context, you know, Sadiq's spoken up before others started making the connection about the high rates of exclusion and uh, school exclusions rather and how that correlates to high rates of violence and he can campaign around around that and make his voice known. Similarly, um, we did a piece of work recently um, and we, we found out that there's no, there's no compulsion um, legally to, to, to conducting uh, reviews on all of the homicides that have taken place of young people. And he's been advocating very strongly to make sure that that is the case so that we make sure that we can learn from every single incident um, that happens. And he's got an authority when he talks, obviously, to the government about that. So I suppose he has a mix of views, some of which are his own power, some of which is his own influence. And with that influence, he can really press for for policy changes. And that's the kind of model we've tried to use within the BRU. Um, And if I could add one more to that, I suppose, it's the fact that, you know, we have got some money. And, um, you know, we, we have got some investment we can make um, to, um, to make sure that that is going to the people that we think have got the good ideas, that are doing the really valuable work and that we're enabling them further to tackle violence reduction. So with that comes some, some power. Yeah, that's, and that is, again, really helpful and insightful just to get a, a bit of a clearer understanding of the remit. Um, you, you talk about money. I suppose one of the questions is where do you see the key focus of that money needing to go? Not so much like specifics, but in terms of a broader picture of 
we hear very much about the public health approach. We hear, we hear you've mentioned exclusions, for example, you've mentioned schools, mm-hmm. um, but you know, you have some money. Uh, what would you say the VRU or even the mayor's office has analysed as some of the key places where investment needs to be spent to try and reverse this tide of, of violence which we're seeing in the capital? Okay, so I think there's a lot we can do immediately, but I don't think it's a quick fix. I think we have to make the argument that there's a long-term program to make um, all the approaches sustainable. I think that's I think that's really important. Um, I think that in the work that we've been doing, and we spent a lot of time very consciously going out and talking to people. You know, we we might be based in City Hall, or well, not at the moment, obviously, but we might be based in City Hall. But you know, that is not where I think people should be coming in to see us. We should be going out to neighbourhoods, going and talking to groups. And we did an enormous amount of that in the first six months and I um, of the setup of the unit and that helps shape our thinking and I would want to continue to do that when obviously COVID lifts and we've got that opportunity. Um, so having done all of that listening and worked with some of the or looked at and analysed some of the data that we've got, I think we felt that in particular supporting young people um, that we had to look at it from the perspective of a young person and what we were told were there were some key relationships in a young person's life. Um, and that was, yes, uh, their peer group. So giving voice to young people is really important. It was sometimes their teachers, um, and so therefore looking at that school environment, um, again, really key. Um, it was absolutely uh, looking at the support you can give to youth practitioners and youth workers. Uh, really neglected profession, I think, over the last 10 years, but absolutely critical and very often the, uh, the key conversation that changes a young person's life or the key piece of work that changes a young person's life. So how can we support um, work there? And then and actually parents. Um, you know, I, I know um, that you know, there's a lot of research by the time young people are getting to a certain stage of adolescence. Um, you know, parents are perhaps not the key people that they're listening to, but obviously in all of that early stage, it's a really, really uh, important uh, relationship for young people. So we've kind of framed up our funding, thinking about it through the lens of a young person and their relationships, and then trying to do that through, I suppose, um, some of the, the kind of key agencies of think uh, or keep, think, sorry, excuse me, thinking about it in terms of place. Thinking about you know that within the neighbourhood context, that may be within the um, the ward, and that that may be within the local authority, um, and so really trying to channel money money in that sense to much more of a local level, yeah. and that's one area we framed up our strategy. Yeah, so you've got this kind of like localised approach, um, and that's what my experience of the VRU would be very much that you've got this kind of localised approach. Um, very much specifically looking at people who are on the ground, but also when I look at some of the people around the, the reference group in the, in the VRU, it's like, my goodness, you've got some really incredible kind of minds, people with some really brilliant history in this area. It's, it's great. And it, it does feed into this public health approach, isn't it, which we hear a lot, a lot uh, which effectively is looking at violence as a disease. Um, and then bringing a multiple, a multidisciplinary, I suppose, a cross-fertilisation approach to to trying to reduce violence. I suppose if there's, and you've heard me say this before, um, I suppose if there's a criticism, or not even a criticism, a concern, a slight worry, is the danger of maybe having a drag and drop 
approach or copy and paste approach from from this Scottish model, which we know has been a success in terms of reducing violence since 2005, um, into a London context um, where the diversity is a bit different. Uh, the time is a little bit different, 2005 to 2020, you know, there's, there's a good 15 years difference there. How do we make sure that this approach um, is something which is very contextualised and very specific to London and it isn't that kind of drag and drop approach from Scotland? I just don't know if you've got any thoughts on that, really. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I mean, I completely agree with the premise of the question. Um, mm. So uh, a couple of months in to the unit being established, we did go up to Scotland and it was really insightful and interesting to learn some of the approaches they'd taken. Um, and in particular, we learned, I think, a lot around how they had changed the exclusion rate um, in schools. So they'd seen, a, you know, I think it was an 81% reduction in exclusions and a corresponding 48% reduction in violence. So that's a strong message that stuck with me. And, you know, that, I suppose what that did was make me think about the importance of that issue in a London context. But, 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 I mean, London is a hugely complex city. Um, you've talked about some of those big players that sit around um, the partnership reference group and we you know we haven't spoken much about those at the moment but yeah absolutely you need to be mobilizing health the met London, uh, London councils all to be saying the same kind of thing and supporting the same kind of initiative so that's really really key but the complexity of those structures is huge I mean you've got 32 London councils you've got 12 borough command units You've got a constant uh, reshaping and reconfiguring of what uh, the different structures within, within health. As you've got the NHS, then you've got public health, you've got CCGs, all of which are, it seems to me, um, quite often uh, being sort of changed in terms of uh, levels of accountability. Mm. Um, and so just, just that. And then on top of that, you've got, you know, a nine million population, the strength of which rests in its diversity and its strong communities all of which can feel and are incredibly different in a very, very small geographical area, um, sure. jostling with real pockets of poverty alongside, you know, huge, um, uh, you know, huge areas of wealth. Um, so, you know, and I think if you're taking the... So, so I think it's very different um, as a place um, and it's got different strengths and therefore different weaknesses. Um, and it's got very different structures that you have to deal with to bring all the same people into one place. But what I do think you get from a public public health approach is a is a kind of discipline about how you might want to tackle a problem. And from Glasgow, we got some insights into what some of the key key issues were. But you absolutely cannot take a Scottish model and drop it into London. And and just to add further, I think to one of the things you said there, I'm always a bit nervous as well about describing it as a disease. I'm quite. I, I, don't, I don't actually like the medical terminology for for describing how something feels. I don't mind the approach of thinking, you know, you you've got to contain the problem um, in the first instance, you know, and then try and try and um, then focus in on where the problem is 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 most acute, and then actually support the people uh, once they perhaps you know um, had the experience. Um, as it were, and, and, and so following through that model. But I, I, I think the language of disease is a little bit complicated, personally. Yeah, I, I agree. It's um, it's not quite doesn't quite feel the right uh, analogy, does it? But um, yeah, no. the idea of 
there's a problem and, and it needs to be solved and it needs to be very specific and you don't go wide with it you go very intricate with it I think it's I mean it's really interesting what you said and I think <clears throat> one of the things you mentioned was about the reduction of exclusions in in Scotland which was part of the success of the public health approach mm. and what we're aware of is that there was the the implementation of the nurture units in in schools as opposed to I suppose what we would see in England and in Wales the pupil referral unit kind of Mm -hmm. model how difficult do you think it will be to not replicate what Scotland's done but if there's something we do want to replicate is their results don't we we want to replicate the fact that violence has gone down and actually if we're saying in one of the previous power talks I've done in season one um one of the interviewers basically said, look, um, there is this clear uh, school-to-school exclusion to pupil referral unit to criminal justice system pipeline, which needs disrupting. Mm-hmm. I suppose my question is, Scotland seems to have clocked that, uh, mm-hmm. but the legislation in, in England and Wales is very, is very different. How hard do you think it will be then to achieve those results? If we know there's a link, and I'm not saying you said there's a link, but I'm saying there's a link, mm. and yet our legislation mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily create this uh, no, excuse, no exclusions policy which Scotland have got, how difficult does it make it to then achieve the goal, which is to reduce mm. violence, if we know there's a common denominator there with the exclusions? Um, well, I think it is hard. Um, I mean, sort of reforms around education over the last decade have meant that no one's really solely responsible for education across London. Local authorities um, have a different role now. They're no longer a local education authority. Um, So there's actually a bit of a gap in terms of some of the the picture of what's happening in London, even before you get on to trying to change the culture and get to different points of solutions. Um, And going back to your earlier question about what power the mayor has, well, he doesn't have a power over education in London. What he has got is a voice and an influence, um, which he's been using and I think, you know, will will continue to use. Um, but, But I think there's a huge power, actually, and I have a huge optimism about trying to change things because I think... You know, as we just said, you know, that that, that statistic from from Scotland is a very strong one. But actually, even more strong, I think, is the feeling of kind of the way people want young people to grow up, a real sense of nurture, a real sense of encouragement. And, um, you know, I don't think you can talk about violence reduction uh, really in the absence of talking about what inspiration, what hope are you providing for our young people? And conversely, I think one of the reasons why, you know, People who haven't been directly affected by violence but have seen, you know, young people being killed feel so, so horrified by it is because it's our future generation. It's something, it tells us something really sad about our society that we're not investing in the right way in our young people. So I think there is a, there is a very compelling case, both a kind of statistical one and an emotional one as to why we need to be supporting our young people. And it, that support has to come through many different avenues I've talked about, but one of them, an absolute fundamental one, is school. Um, so I think you can start to turn, um, you know, opinions. And when you start turning opinions, you know, you, you start seeing, you can start seeing quite dramatic results. Um, yeah. That's sort of why I've always been a bit of a passionate campaigner, really, um, at heart. You know, cause <coughs> I do believe in fundamental change to society. And yeah. uh, I think that, you know, this area is something that we can keep talking about and it becomes much more 
it, you know, it just becomes much more much more unacceptable then that you're excluding uh, young people. I'm not saying yeah. that there are there aren't challenges with certain young people. I'm not saying that you know you're going to get rid of exclusions overnight, or indeed for yeah. some young people, you know, they're going to need some time away <clears> from <throat> the school they're in. Absolutely, um, but I definitely think we can we can move on that. And I think we've seen some positive stuff actually over the last year um, yeah. in terms of. <coughs> yeah, beginning to get that message more widely recognized yeah and i think that's a good point i mean it's, it's also probably worth mentioning like very, i have actually seen some very good people referral units in in a london concert so it's not like we're saying that all people referral units are like bad um i suppose it's just obviously worth acknowledging that <clears throat> this this kind of pipeline too often when i have worked with young people um, who have unfortunately either been in the criminal now in the criminal justice system, or have uh, been caught up in particular violence. When you trace it back, often something has not quite gone right in the school system. So I think there is definitely yeah. a link, and, yeah. I think that, and, and that's a shame. Um, I think um, the, the other thing I'm, I'm aware of, and, and this is a question which people sometimes put to me around the VRU, is just how the relationship with um with government um yeah. because uh what i would have seen definitely before the election um would have been uh probably slightly different views on how to handle young people and challenging young people where i would say that the, the conservative government and this is in their manifesto would seem to have a, an approach have an approach which was very much about enforcement so what we really need is more support for, uh, for head teachers around more challenging young people. And we also need to see more police on the streets. <clears throat> and what I would have picked up from the Labour manifesto and definitely what comes through in the VRU is very much like, actually, we want more therapy, more formal, uh, uh, trauma-informed uh, practices, uh, more nurturing and therefore, so do you ever sense there is this bit of a, like a clashing philosophy and how does that then make it tricky to, to get things done? Yeah, so I mean, I, I, I suppose I'd go back to my first point is that we're a mayoral unit. Yep. Um, I mean, after we were established at the end of 2018 um, and, and after I'd started, so about mid-2019, the Home Office then presumably had seen some of the work that had been done in the London BOU because there weren't any others around the country at that point um, and decided to set aside £35 million um, pounds of the Home Office budget to um, uh, enable 17 other VRUs across London, uh, across, <laughs> across London, sorry, across uh, England and Wales to yeah. establish themselves and gave them each a chunk of money. Now we were, we got 7 million of that money as well, which was, mm. which was great, um, you know, really positive because it added to our kind of investment. It brought a few challenges as well, don't get me wrong, but it, you know, yeah. it was to have because there's so many good initiatives out there that you could be supporting and it enabled us to support more. Um, so, I mean, our relationship has really been through that money and making sure that we are connecting with the other VRUs, but we are not sort of a creature of the Home Office. We're very much yeah. sort of, you know, a London-wide organisation which has some um, autonomy, I suppose, within the City Hall, but is also directly, you know, accountable to the Mayor. Sure. Um, so I think that probably helped, that probably confused the picture around the VRU a little bit more because we'd only just recently you know, essentially established ourselves when, yes. you know, the Home Office announced that 
announce that resource. I, I do think, though, going to the other bit of your question, is that um, it is, I mean, I agree with you that before the election, um, and this is the national election rather than the up-and-coming mayoral and being cancelled, you know, the, the, um, the Conservative Party did talk much more about, you know, giving heads the power to be able to exclude more. Um, and it's taken a while and now COVID's kind of completely interrupted everything to sort of see how that pre-electioneering has landed in terms of, you know, education policy. But, and that, you know, that is, that is a stress and strain. We've been working, you know, quite positively with the Department for Education and we've got somebody from the Department for Education on the working group now. Um, and I'm part of a national board which is looking at safeguarding young people. So there, there are positive signs in that area. Um, but I think more positive, to be honest, is the fact that um, having given the VRUs one year's worth of money, they have agreed to spend to uh, give it another year's worth of money, and and that does to me indicate that you know whatever political persuasion there is an understanding now that is a bit more complex than just you know catch them on the streets and lock them up if it was ever that simple. Um, and, yeah. and however you can encourage people to move into, I think, a more long-term sustainable approach that puts young people at the heart of young people at the heart of it that looks at a whole range of different kind of information data and intelligence and begins to see the complexity of how you move from violence reduction into how do you give vulnerable young people a better chance in life which is yes. essentially i think the journey we, we're trying to be on and that yes. has to be positive and so my sort of call would be my challenge back to you know uh, the Home Office, which is consistent with all the other VRUs I know, would be, you know, if you're serious about this, you know, one year's funding yeah. is not enough. It needs to be yeah. looking at it in a much longer term framework. But I think there are, even there, there are, there are reasons to be optimistic. Um, yeah. and, and, and I must say, coming back to one of your other points, um, just because I didn't mention it, and it is really important, I completely agree with you. I visited some fantastic people referral units um, in London, where you know, at the heart of their work is providing some ambition, some aspiration, and a lot of support to young people. And yeah. you know, yeah. so <clears throat> it's a complex picture. No, no, it's it's, it's true, and uh, and it's actually it is encouraging. And I think it's a really good point to to know that uh, the Home Office has uh, you know agreed to give you guys more money, um, and therefore the 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 perception of a complete kind of like, oh, we think this way and they think that way. It's kind of good to know that there is some kind of synergy going on there. Um, I suppose it would be silly for us to ignore uh, the elephant in the room, which is COVID. Um, just just to kind of be interesting, just to hear you know, how, how it's impacted the mayor's office, um, how it's impacted kind of your, the VRU's plans. But also, yeah, just how you've had to adapt um, how you're engaging with young people, families, um, all the plans that the VRU had. Just give us a little bit of an update of how COVID has, as it has changed the landscape for everyone, but very specifically from a VRU perspective, what's kind of going on? Sure. Um, well, I mean, it's huge, isn't it, Ben? I mean, it's kind of actually every now and again, I don't know if you're like me, you know, a wave comes over you where you realise how, you know, what was our reality two months ago? Yeah. Um, it is just so broken now and it's going to take so long to re-establish some sense of kind of normality I think um, I know we're talking now about easing of lockdown but 
but even then you can tell you know they're going to be measures in place that are going to make it all feel still quite alien um so um I mean, one of the things that we did initially and are still doing, and obviously you've been party to, is make sure that either the organisations that uh, are in receipt of some VIU money or indeed organisations that we're working very closely with, uh, such as yours, you know, we talked to them about some of the stresses and strains they were encountering. And a lot of those challenges were around, you know, how you communicate with young people um, digitally, you know, how you do that when not everyone's got the same resources, um, talk to schools and you know, some of the vulnerable young people aren't going into schools. It's quite a low level that they're, they're capturing. Um, it's mainly the, the uh, kids of key workers um, that are taking up those places. You know, we talk to parents who are, you know, obviously very confused and, you know, kind of really difficult um, situations uh, some of the, those people are in. And we've obviously gleaned intelligence from uh, people like the police and, and other community groups and youth practitioners about the fact that, you know, there might not be as, as much violence on the street, but obviously we don't know what's going on sometimes in the home, and we have seen a big, a big explosion in domestic abuse and domestic violence, um, and what that means for young people. Um, but also, you know, the fact that there is still quite a lot going on on social media in terms of sort of drug market connections, if I could put it as ambiguously as that. Um, so, you know, trying to draw together that intelligence and then think, how can we help? And uh, I suppose in the way we've been trying to help is very much the way, you know, we've worked over the last year, which is how can we make the funding that we've got as flexible and as useful as we can to people who are actually delivering a service on the ground? Um, how can we use that intelligence to make sure that other funding or other um, opinion formers, such as the mayor, uh, are able to speak confidently about what's, what, what uh, community groups are experiencing and others, you know, across London. Um, and so one of the responses to that was the London Fund, uh, which is working with lots of the London funders to try and actually just help groups that are either delivering food or are really suffering um, uh, because of lack of funding in this period or they've had to adapt the way, uh, way they work. Um, and then we're now in particular trying to look at how we would focus on what happens in the very immediate term around an easing of lockdown for young people and what does that do over the next, well, certainly over the next year, I think. Um, and that's where, interestingly, given that we've shaped up a programme that is looking at it from the perspective of young people, youth practitioners, parents, teachers, very localised through the local authority lens and local community groups, actually that's not changed very much. It's kind of intensified and maybe changes the activity, but as a sort of structure in terms of moving forward it's quite similar um, so it's really then us going back to those parenting networks going back to those youth practitioners and saying okay you know should we be focusing a bit more on developing support for youth practitioners should we be looking at that training program that we were going to be doing okay in schools we can't do a universal service for everyone um, I don't think we can su support that should we be putting all of our energy towards supporting some of the people referral units where, they, you know, as we've just said, we know that most of the most vulnerable young people and therefore the most exploitable young people, by and large, are, um, are being educated. Um, so in that sense, it's intensified our work, I think, and, and, and made it, you know, uh, as relevant as long as we keep listening to people and working with them. Um, well, that's good. I think it's really helpful. Um, because I think you're right, definitely the work has intensified from our, from mm. our end. I sometimes I get people saying to me, oh, you know, you must, you know, has work kind of decreased? I'm like, no way, it's, it's, it's going through the roof. Um, 
so I think that is really, really helpful. Would you, I mean, what, I don't know if you, if you I'm giving you any warning for this one, but stats-wise, <laughs> stats I mean, what type of trends are we seeing in this COVID time? So you kind of alluded to it that, well, we know, I mean, it's very public that domestic violence has gone, has kind of gone up, which I suppose, yeah. unfor- unfortunately, was probably one of the more predictable stats which we would, would see. Um, I know for me personally, when it comes to youth violence, I know there was a, naturally, because of the self-isolation and the, the lockdown, it went down. Yeah. I'm having, I'm having conversations with surgeons who over the last couple of weekends are seeing more knife-related uh, incidents coming through, like the A&E. And, uh, and, I've had, and there's a few things which I'm just seeing in the media where I'm like, oh, okay, even though it's kind of down the list because of COVID, I'm just beginning to see a few things. Is that something which you would see that, you know, there was a drop and now it's beginning to creep back up or, you know, I don't know. If it's a bit early to say um, because, yeah. um, because the information is quite restricted in some respects because it's quite difficult to, um, you know, therefore to, to analyse. But I think, I think you're broadly right. I think there was a dramatic drop. The only two kind of, uh, crime statistics that were, were going up or one was in relation to domestic abuse and actually it's only in the last couple of weeks that that's been able to be substantiated prior to that it was a concern around that and more sure. more calls going to helplines but we are beginning to see that increase and secondly it was really around the antisocial behavior which you can which you can take as you know neighbors being concerned of you know neighbors who were you know, not abiding by lockdown, um, you know, as well as a whole multitude of different things that are kind of assembled within um, ASB stats. Um, so there was a very dramatic reduction um, in, in um, violence in relation to young people. Um, and there is a little bit, and it's a bit early to say, but but definitely there is a little bit easing of that reduction. So it is going up a bit more. Um, and and I think, you know, you're, you're beginning, aren't you, as well, to see even though they haven't um, eased lockdown yet, there's been no announcement, you definitely begin to see more people out and about. Um, And and so, you know, it's no big surprise in a sense that some of that's picked up. Um, But I I wouldn't overanalyze that at this stage. I mean, what I do think is is really important is that we think about the level of vulnerability of some of these young people because um, there'll be people before we didn't consider necessarily vulnerable who will be now, I think, as a result of lockdown. And I think the huge amount of mental stress and strain on some uh, young people uh, does require us to look at a proper investment strategy around therapy and around mental health support in the same way that we've looked at physical health support um, and that's, I know, something really close to your heart. And, you know, we're doing some interesting work on a bit of that therapeutic um, yeah. area together. But, but I think that's really, really important. And that's, that's going to be exposed. Um, yeah. uh, I suppose the other thing that's hugely exposed, isn't it, is if um, we kind of needed it being shown anymore. But it really is. It's going back to that point that we started with, you know, that, that London is a city of, um, you know, sometimes two halves. And the mm. experience of COVID has really shone a light on the inequality um, in the system, you know. Um, I feel hugely fortunate I'm sitting in a house with a garden. Um, I feel hugely lucky I've got money to buy food and I can organise my life in a way that, yeah, it's an inconvenience, but it's, 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 um, you know, it's bearable. 
it's a very good it's a very good point um, I think you've heard me say this before I definitely feel that with the COVID-19 people fall into two categories you're either yeah. inconvenienced <clears throat> or, you're, or you're suffering um, I, 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 I'm fortunate to, at the moment to be in the inconvenience category mm. but I think it's important to, to definitely remember those who are who are suffering in, in multiple ways um, yeah. Just, just finally, you are the the director of the violence reduction unit for <laughs> London. So, I just wonder if you have a message. I mean, this is something which will be obviously go beyond London. But if you had a message for Londoners at this point, uh, like just in this time, what would your kind of final words be? Your words of encouragement, hope, optimism. Well, you are an optim- You are a very optimistic person. Uh, anyway, so uh, but I just thought if you got some some words for Londoners Um, at this time, what would you say? Well, we're going through an extraordinary time and it's, you know, devastating and horrible for so many, well, for all of us actually, but, you know, acutely for some. It does give us a chance to reset and reflect and do things differently. And I suppose my hope and my sort of drive and my ambition would be that we come out of this period and that we really reevaluate the important things in life and that we're able to provide that encouragement to young people to provide some inspiration. And I know that's going to be hard because there's going to be a recession and therefore opportunities are going to be much harder to come by. But I genuinely think if we're involved in reshaping our society, all of us, and that people feel they can do something and everyone can, then that in itself is inspirational. That provides opportunities for young people and therefore the, the horrible spectre and experience we've seen and experienced of you know, young people losing their lives or getting caught up tragically in violence that then shapes the rest of their life um, in such a negative way can be avoided. And I think that's the bit we've got to hold on to. Um, yes. It's all about hope. It's all about opportunity. It's all about inspiration and <clears> it's all about providing support and compassion to one another. And yeah. uh, this horrible disease teaches us something. It should put that in the forefront of our minds. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for your time. Um, it's been really helpful just to hear the work of the VRU, why it was set up, uh, some of uh, the positives and some of just the, the, the complexities around the unit. But um, it's been great just to have you on Power Talk. Finally, it's been take, it's taken a while. <laughs> Going through all that red tape, you know, um, but no, it's good. But thank you very much for your time. Ah, you know, uh, yeah, great. Thank you very much, Ben. Lovely to talk to you as always, and a real honour right. to be uh, one of your power talk people. Uh, Thanks, mate. Nice one, take care. Nice one. Thank you. <laughs>